0: And good morning, Northland. Welcome to an amazing service. Uh, If you're joining here on campus or online, this is a big deal that we would be connected at such a a significant time in the life of the church. Millions are are gathering today for this Palm Sunday and many millions will be going through Holy Week together. We're gonna talk about that in just a minute. As you may or may not know, if you're new, uh, we've been going through a series called Against All Odds. We started this back in January. Pastor Gus launched us. In looking at one scripture, uh, what does it look like for us to be a people of the book of the word that we would base our convictions and our beliefs, our present and our future? on what Jesus taught and what's in all of Scripture, from Old Testament to New Testament. Uh, and then we've been looking at one story, how every every story in the Old Testament connects. We've been going through a lot of the, the characters that are highlighted uh, in the Pentateuch, the Old Testament. And now we come up on this week and we're looking at one Savior. What does it mean for us as followers of Jesus to see the way Jesus connects all the dots, connects everything together? So it's a big deal that you're here, and this is an important time for us as a church we 're going to be looking at Luke chapter nineteen if you have your scriptures and you want to turn there it'll be on the screen as well and uh, uh, will it 's also in your worship guide if you want to pull that out but want to let you know that in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in every one of those, there's a different author that the Holy Spirit inspired to chronicle the stories of Jesus. They didn't all tell the same stories. Uh, They highlighted different parts of Jesus's life, and and that way we have a more complete picture uh, of what's told uh, in the life of Christ over those years. And so when we look at the scriptures uh, this morning, we'll be looking at Luke 19, but what's interesting and important to note in in this story, uh, this entrance into Jerusalem, the capital city, uh, this triumphal entry is highlighted in all four of the Gospels. So, it's an important story that uh, the Gospel writers didn't want us to miss. And so, let's take a look at that. If you have your Scriptures, go ahead and turn to uh, Luke chapter 19, and I'll pull a couple verses from the Gospel of John as well as it highlights some other pieces of the story. This is what it says in the Scriptures. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So let's just pause real quick right there and get the setting of what's happening. Why are all these people piling into Jerusalem? There was a festival that was taking place. If you were here last week, you might remember that we were looking at the life of Moses. We kind of looked at, you know, what, what was his sizzle reel, kind of the highlight uh, reel of his life, all the different stories. And one of the things that we noted was the way that God commanded and gave specific instructions to Moses that the Israelites were to observe three festivals, three huge parties commemorating who God is, Uh, the, the Feast of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacle, And so this one here, there are pilgrimages coming, people coming from all over, piling in. The population of Jerusalem was on average about 50,000 people, but it's estimated that around this time period, the city would just grow and and double, sometimes triple, Uh, anywhere between 120,000, 150,000 people would be pouring in for these festivals Uh, The Romans would have added extra security detail into the city. The energy, the tension, the excitement was there. But also, these were festivals where it was uh, often popular for a false prophet, someone who was claiming to be the Messiah, to sort of come into that scene. And it would create an uprising. There would be uh, riots. And often, uh, the Roman soldiers would have to go in there and, and quell the fighting So it was an interesting time, a dynamic time in the life of that city. And as Jesus comes, as he's approaching, he's not quite into the city yet, but as he nears it, the scriptures say that he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. And before going in, he sent uh, two of his disciples uh, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a donkey tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it. And bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say the Lord needs it. Let's talk about uh, this donkey for a second. We're gonna look at two significant symbols that are highlighted in this story. The first is uh, this particular animal, the donkey. Why? A donkey. I was doing some research this week and reading an article that I actually got uh, from the Jesus Film, and it was highlighting this particular scripture that Pastor Marsh read earlier, Zechariah nine nine. This was a, a, a prophecy that was given some five hundred years before Jesus came on the scene as he is entering Jerusalem this final time. Listen to these words again and. Highlight what you see happening. Again, five centuries before these words were spoken about the Messiah. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What's going on here? This research that I was doing, I was actually looking at an article that was put out uh, by the Jesus Film. I tagged it there. You can look it up later. It's a great article put out by Crew. I sent an email to Gilbert Kingsley and uh, Dan Hardaway and Bill Wolf uh, who work at Crew, just thanking them for this great research done by the Jesus Film uh, department. And in it, they highlight 55 of the 300 prophecies that are given in the Old Testament. Over a 2,000-year span in the Hebrew history, we have over 300 prophecies. This Zechariah one is is a specific one to this moment taking place in Jesus' life. And in this research that was done uh, by Peter Stoner, he's the chairman of the departments uh, of mathematics and astronomy at uh, Pasadena College, they asked this question, what would be the probability for just eight of the prophecies to be fulfilled by Jesus? Nevertheless, the 300, just eight of these. What would be the mathematical probability? So they got a team together, they did all the research, and came up with a conservative number that just, to, just for all eight to be met by a Messiah, by the Messiah who would come, as Zechariah proclaimed, is this, the probability is one? In ten to the seventeenth power, that's a big number. I, I can get one in ten, right? I got that much. I can do that math. But I see some students in here. Maybe you've taken the ACT, SAT. Some of us not so good in math. What's so great about the research team? They actually wanted to paint a picture of what this would look like visually for those of us that are not numbers people. And so basically, they said this: one in ten to the seventeenth power would be the same as taking a silver dollar. No, we don't use those much anymore, but imagine a silver dollar and you lay them on the ground side by side. If you covered the entire state of Texas and if you piled those silver dollars on top of each other two feet high, and if there was a silver dollar marked in there that was the designated one that a blindfolded person who parachuted in anywhere they wanted could go anywhere in the state looking for that silver dollar, that's 1 in 10 to the 17th power. That's a huge number just for eight of those prophecies to be fulfilled. I know I'm looking at, around the room and I see people who are great at apologetics who do research and look at this. All of these incredible facts and prophecies that point to Jesus, the Messiah. Gilbert uh, emailed me back when we were going back and forth talking about this. And he was telling me about how every time he reads one of these prophecies, it makes him think about a trip that he and his wife, Chris, were taking South Dakota, I-90, like a five-hour stretch where, you know, it's one of those where you don't see anything, just a lot of billboards every several miles. And he said there was this billboard that kept repeating itself, and it just kept announcing and promoting this place called Waldrug, which sounds kind of shady to me. Yeah, there's some claps in here. I need to visit South Dakota apparently, but Waldrug, stop and get refreshments at Waldrug. Get your souvenirs at Waldrug. It's like a pharmaceutical stop, but it's kind of a one-stop and a big tourist destination. Gilbert said, you can believe where we stopped, right? After seeing time and time and time again for five hours, these billboards. And that's what these prophets were doing. They were the ones that were proclaiming, putting up these signs, making sure that the people of God would not miss the Messiah. And so that's what's happening here. But it still got me thinking, why a donkey? You know, I'm not, I'm not big into those type of animals. And um, I was wondering, even in the Middle East, around the first century, what other option? Putting aside, just for a moment, that Jesus was going to fulfill this prophecy. What other animal could he have ridden into Jerusalem on that particular day? Do a little Google research. The Arabian horse. Look at that. I'm not, I'm not an equestrian. I don't know much about horses. But five to $10,000. This immaculate, uh, sh- gleaming, like just, it looks like just a muscle to me. I started Googling, I wanted to know, okay, if that's the price of an Arabian horse, what's the price of a donkey? So I started typing into Google, and you know how it sort of tries to predict what you are uh, typing in, it'll autofill. So I started typing in, what is the cost of, donkey did not come up, but you know it did come up, what is the cost of a Lamborghini autofill? What is the cost of a Tesla? This was the Lamborghini and Tesla. Of the first century. Uh, You can imagine uh, contrasting that animal with a $300 donkey on average, the cost of this animal around the world. Now, that donkey's cute. You do want to give it a hug. I know you do. And donkeys served an incredible purpose, still serve an incredible purpose. Pastor John has one on his property, they're an amazing animal. But in the scriptures, what's even more symbolic and interesting is that when you read the Old Testament, often what the horse stood for was it was a symbol of war, of battle, of warriors coming in to fight. The donkey, symbolic for peace, for humility, for suffering. And so it's not by accident that Jesus... Not only because it was a prophecy to be fulfilled, but it was a declaration of his intent as he came in to that city. The scriptures go on to say that as they were sent ahead, the two disciples go and they found this donkey just as Jesus had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. I love this. This is like a Jedi moment. I'm just I knew Rob and his family normally come on the 11 o'clock. This is like a total Star Wars moment, uh, which I grew up on, big fan. My family loves the disciples. Can you imagine, even first of all, how do you get the donkey detail, right? Did they just draw the short end of the straw and all of a sudden they're walking together ahead to this village. You can imagine the conversation. Now, what are we gonna say again? And, and how's that gonna make sense? And what do we do when they don't believe what we're saying? Like you can imagine how that dialogue was going. They get there. And all they do as the owner comes and asks for it is they just say, the Lord needs it. These are not the droids that you're looking for. And apparently it worked because it goes right to the next scene, scene without pause. Jesus, uh, they then brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Church, can we just pause just for a second here? I want to just give you two quick points on this donkey. First of all, if Jesus knew That those disciples were going to find a donkey in that next village. And that they were going to say the Lord needs it and it was going to be given to him. Don't you know that he knows? The anxieties, the concerns, the struggles. Every one of us has something that we wish we could just see just around the corner. That next chapter, this next season. Some of us are still uh, collecting unemployment checks, looking for a job. Some of us are struggling with friends or family, or it's us who are waiting on medical test results. We're desperate to see what's around that corner. This is a powerful reminder in the most subtle of ways. Jesus, He knows what's in that next chapter. He's already there. He knows what's going to happen. We can trust on Him, we can rely on Him. And then, secondly, thinking a lot about this donkey, we should never pass up donkey detail. As followers of Jesus, whenever we're sent on a task, whenever the Holy Spirit stirs in us an opportunity to engage in a conversation to, stir, to serve somebody, we should never wonder uh, and, and try to put a value on that. I know for some of us Conversations I have with people, they often think, you know, that ministry is something that I'll do someday. Um, you know, I'm so, so wound up at work and with the kids, and, and, it, and, it, and they sort of make ministry and calling be something that they'll do eventually, when really this is a powerful reminder, these two disciples who were obedient, who listened to Jesus, went on that mission, and did something for the king. Every conversation we have, we have no idea how eternity is going to meet that conversation, how Jesus will be ushered into that moment because of us just listening to the Holy Spirit and stepping in to that situation. Let's keep going. They brought it to Jesus, they threw their cloaks on it. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They took palm branches and went ahead, went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel, peace in heaven and glory in the highest, We sang some of those words already. We're going to actually close the service with some of these words. But for these people at this time, as Jesus was coming in to what we call the triumphal entry, as they entered into that space and, and proclaimed these words, for them, Hosanna meant something much different. Blessed is the King of Israel meant something much different to them. We sing those words knowing how the whole of Holy Week finishes. But for them, they were desperate for the here and the now. In fact, biblical scholars acknowledge that those words, Hosanna, for them, were political slogans. They were these statements uh, in hopes that Jesus was coming to establish his reign on earth and help them with the oppression that they felt from the Romans, help them economically and socially, and so they were crying out for Jesus to come and fix this in the moment. I was thinking about this. When I was uh, in high school, I had one of those moments. I'm sure we, we've all had them where you just want a quick fix on something, right? I was in high school, ninth grade. I weighed 105 pounds on my best, weightiest day. I was a skinny kid who loved to play football, had no business playing football at 105 pounds because when I went and tried out, my dad somehow let me do it, should not have done that. Let me go and try out. Dads don't do that. You know, like, wait till you put a few more pounds on, went, tried out had an amazing practice that week. It came to the end of a certain practice where there were helmets lined up. Smallest over here on the left side, the large helmets over on the right, and we were supposed to go and try on helmets. And I kinda waited and watched, and I saw the big guys go over, of course, to the right side. And man, these dudes had big heads. You know, these are the linemen. They could barely squeeze those helmets onto their melons. I went over to the smallest, you know, looked around, made sure nobody's looking, picked it up, put it on. And that thing was rattling. I could spin it around my head. And before I could like put it away and kind of discreetly, you know, step away, the coach came over and he said, son, I think we're going to have to special order you a helmet. And I should have known that was the end of, of my football, but it, I kept going for it. Ended up on a Friday playing football, went out for a pass, dove down low, heard a crack. Went over to uh, the huddle, didn't hurt, didn't feel anything, but I knew something was not right. Went over to the sideline, said to the coach, my arm's broke. He said, no, it's not, get back in there. I showed it to him, he said, it's broke. Um, Went to the hospital, show up there. And I'm thinking the whole time, okay, I'm missing the game, but I know my buddies, my friends, we're all going out to the movies afterwards. Just, again, quick fix. Put a cast on it. I've seen it a thousand times, you know. You pick blue. You pick pink. They sign it. It smells after about three weeks. Just give me that cast. But instead, after the x-rays came back, the the doctor turned the lights on and he threw them up on the screen and he said, Sean, you're going to stay the night. You're going to have surgery at 8 a.m. in the morning. And we're going to put two plates and eight screws in your arm. And then the two incisions that will go down on both sides, either side of your forearm, that will be sealed with 24 staples. I still have those today, by the way. Not the staples. But I kept thinking the whole time, just let, let me on. Let me go. Just give me the quick fix. But that doctor knew That was not going to solve my problem that day. These people who were crying out, Hosanna, who were waving these palm branches, they wanted something that would bring immediate relief. They had no idea of the brokenness and the suffering that needed to be repaired. And that's what the great physician was doing as he came into that space. But let's talk about the second symbol, the palm branches, why palm branches? It's not just that it was convenient, that it was something close by, that they could snap off of a tree and, and wave as part of a parade. We've got a lot of palm trees and palm branches in Florida, right? There's like over 15 different species. And In the Middle East, there's what's called a palm date that they would have used. But the significance here is not that they were using it to create commotion and, and sort of raise attention. There was that. But More specifically, the palm date, the palm branch, represented something that also had to do with the political aspirations of the people, the Jewish community at that time. In fact, palm branches represented this Jewish nationalism, along with the the political slogans that they they were declaring. They had these palm branches because uh, it represented, even in reading some of of the battles that took place around this time period, rebel nations would actually imprint and stamp onto the coins uh, images of of palm branches. It had this this conveyance of of, uh, political independence that they were seeking after. So there was a lot going on. Jesus comes in on a donkey it's symbolic of what he's about to do in a way that went right over their heads. And meanwhile, the noise and the excitement and the activity was focused on something much different. In fact, a few things you could highlight from this is in searching for this earthly king. They were hoping for power and chariots and Arabian horses and Weapons and armor and all the things that would come with political power. They wanted to hang medals around the neck of a hero. And Jesus comes in as the king of kings on a donkey, humble. And he comes in and instead of receiving medals over his neck, he hangs on a cross on that Friday. That's what Jesus was stepping into That's what the triumphal entry was inaugurating. It actually was the beginning of suffering and humiliation that Jesus would face that week. And in fact, as Jesus surveyed the city, as he was coming off that mountain and entering Jerusalem, his response from the scriptures is this. He approached that city and he wept over it. He knew what the people needed even though they did not need it. He knows what we need even though we often are just looking for that quick solution. But the question I want to ask us that live here in this community, in this city, or if you're online, whatever city is a part of where you live, what causes us to weep over our community? What causes us to see and feel the same things that Jesus felt when he looked over Jerusalem. The brokenness, the separation, the division, the chaos, the way we continue to mistreat each other, all of that which not only separates us from each other, ultimately separates us from our creator. And so that's, that's what ushers us into Holy Week. It's a significant time for us, of course we wanna to get to next Sunday, we wanna to get to Easter. But it's important for us in Holy Week to pause and to pay attention to the things that Jesus taught that week. The things that he did and he said, what he was passionate about, what he put emphasis on. And that's what we're going to be doing this week. Even though Jesus knew the needs of the people, he, he could see them. He knew that what they wanted, no human could carry, no political system could provide, no army could. Could, could do the job. It was ultimately going to be a sacrifice on the cross. Holy Week, really in a, in a sentence, is just a journey to the cross. It's a way that the church walks together in Christ's suffering during this week so that we may fully share in the resurrection. And so what we want to do in these coming days is rather than race just quickly to Easter, we want to pay attention not only to Christ's suffering, but look at our own suffering. Look at the ways that Christ in the the resurrection, which changed everything, how does it change our lives this week and for all of eternity? And so before we actually take communion... What I want to do is walk through just a few quick high points that we want to invite all of us to do this week. This is going to be an important, different way that we do Holy Week. Churches do what we're going to be inviting you to do all over the world. And so we're going to start uh, tomorrow, in fact, with this. If you have your phone, before you take your communion elements out, would you take out your phone? It's okay if it buzzes or beeps. It's all right. If you would like to receive a text... Starting tomorrow, Monday through Sunday, we're going to be sending a daily scripture and a prayer and a reflection question every day for us to spend together in God's word. And we're actually going to ask way more than that. We're going to ask all of us to fast over lunch, to skip lunch Monday through Saturday. And instead of feeding on the bologna sandwich that you normally eat or Four Rivers or whatever else is on the menu. Instead, feed on God's word and see what we might look like as a community of faith united together, walking together. If you are unable to do fasting for for any kind of dietary reasons or uh, health reasons, do not do that take a walk instead, but spend that hour and let's know that the church is united together all over the world, but this particular church, Northland, is standing together during the lunch hour, lifting up Jesus and paying attention to what the Holy Spirit might teach us. There's gonna be a devotional every day, Monday through Thursday, that one of the pastors will be doing. You can catch it on social media. Jump on there at 7.30 p.m., they're going to be highlighting something specific that happened in the life of Jesus on that particular day. The Good Friday service at 7:30 p.m., Pastor John was just talking to him in between services. He'll be preaching, cannot wait to hear that message. And then Holy Saturday, we're going to do things a little bit differently on this particular Saturday. There's no service that evening, so if this isn't the service you normally come to and you sometimes come on Saturday, instead of the service We are actually gonna be opening up the foyer from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can also uh, do this online. There's gonna be seven different prayer stations, seven different crosses. This is a self-guided prayer walk where there will be scriptures and again, reflection questions and ways to pay attention to the suffering of Jesus, what he experienced in those final days and the way that speaks to us today as a people who have been broken, through sin, but redeemed by Jesus. What does that mean? And so that prayer walk, you can sign up for that. It's not, it's not actually seven hours. You can just sign up online to come for some particular part. It'll be COVID uh, safe, but again, you can do that online as well. Check all the details for that online. And then finally, Sunday, Easter, where we get together to celebrate the risen King. But put the phones away and let's actually pay attention to this first. Would you take out your communion elements? If you're here on campus and, uh, and maybe you, you got in here but, but missed the, the, the communion, just raise your hand and there's some ushers that will come around and make sure that you receive those. If you're online, uh, please grab something to eat and drink so that you can participate during this time. We wanted to close this service out with what we think is the most powerful way for us to pay attention to what Jesus did for us on the cross. And So we're gonna be doing this together and I'll give you those instructions. Just wanna look around the room again and make sure everybody, we've got a couple here and, and a couple people up in the balcony. Right here in the middle. Thank you for waiting. If you'll take those out, I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over our time together. And after I pray, you are invited to take them at any time. You can take it immediately. You can take it during this last worship song that we will sing together. Get it? Still waiting over here, okay. Michelle or Don, we have a couple right here in the The scriptures tell us this that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You can imagine Jesus as he was coming into Jerusalem. He knew the price that was going to have to be paid. He knew it was going to Have to be him that paid that price. And instead of turning that donkey around, he kept going for you and for me. He knew, being sovereign and being all knowing, that he would have friends, close friends, betray him that week. And yet he still kept riding. Church, as we not only remember what Jesus did this morning, let us not lose sight of that this week. Let us pay attention to the ways that Jesus has not only transformed our lives once and for all of eternity, he's doing that day by day, moment by moment. Would you pray with me? Father, we confess to you that we so often want to race to Easter and we're so thankful, so grateful, so in awe that you meet us on Easter, on Sunday, resurrection. You've given us new life, the sacrifice that you made on the cross on our behalf so that we could be redeemed as your people. Father, thank you for the way that you knew our hearts. You knew the way that we would sin and betray you more times than we want to remember. And yet you love us still and you invite us around these elements to remember the sacrifice. Lord, I pray for those who might be here for the first time maybe some people who are holding these elements not even sure that they should take them maybe some have never known what it means to have a relationship with you Jesus Holy Spirit would you draw them near to you would you remind them of your forgiveness would you start anew that first step and having a relationship with you our creator for my friends and family here who have taken communion with hundreds of times who also might be holding these elements thinking not worthy feeling shame and guilt father would we not let those lies from the enemy overtake the truth of the forgiveness that your body and your blood paid for. And Lord, as we do this, we want to take it. We want to launch into this week singing, declaring you the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We give you all we have, Lord. Would you walk with us this week, Holy Spirit, and teach us. We pray in Jesus' name.